right, welcome to episode six of the Easier Said Than Done podcast. My name is Brennan Donahue. Join with me is Bob Horgan and Dave Toscano. Fellas, how we doing? What's up? Doing good. Doing good. Bob, I can't help but notice you sound great compared to yeah. your drone-like voice previously. What? Tell me what, what happened. Yeah, well, I'll tell you right now, the haters are going to be sick because I just copped a fresh new mic, uh, the steal off of Amazon, probably the steal at Century, so... I, I think that there are people who listen to this podcast who have probably have never even actually heard what your actual voice sounds like, and it just kn- like knows what the the computerized sound of your computer's microphone makes you sound like. So it's it's great having the the, the normal voice aboard finally. Oh yeah, my normal my normal annoying ass voice. Here it is. Yeah. So this week's. I'm hearing it. Yeah, yeah, and the first time Dave's hearing it too which is a plus. Um, so th- this week, obviously, podcast coming out a little bit later than usual, kind of a busy week for all of us. Um, we're going to be talking about today, Cam Newton re-signing with the Patriots, probably the biggest New England Boston sports news out of the last week. Talk a little college basketball. The bracket will be coming out today, the day of recording. Um, talk a little bit of Champions League. No gambling picks this week just because, you know, we recorded this after all the big games of the week happened. So next week is going to be a March Madness only podcast. We're going to be going through the bracket. We're going to be talking about pretty much every single pick that we like, maybe a couple futures. Who knows? We'll see. Um, So next week will be an strictly March Madness podcast. And our interview today is with Sherwood Brown of Florida Gulf Coast. Uh, you might rec- remember them better as Dunk City from the 2013 NCAA tournament. They were the first 15 seed to ever make the Sweet 16, upsetting Georgetown and San Diego State on the way to the Sweet 16. So really cool interview with him, sitting down with him, kind of shooting the shit about everything that's going on in his career now, what it was like uh, during that two-week magical run that it was for them, and everything that happened before and afterwards. So uh, I guess we'll, we'll hop right into it. First one, Cam Newton re-signing a one-year, $7 million deal with uh, $6.6 million potentially in incentives. Um, you know, gut instinct is I don't love it, but I can't say that I'm not surprised. Bob, thoughts? I definitely don't hate it. Um, I think that if you looked at the options out there, like that, that six was it six point six? I think was the official number, or something like that. And then it was like incentives if he plays, starts, all that kind of stuff, um, which I think is a pretty decent deal for him. I know I saw someone tweet, and they're like, "That's a pretty common backup quarterback deal." Um, I'll let you kind of get into the take me and you both share, but I don't hate it. I mean, another year in the system, I think that's always been a big thing with like the Patriots is it can be tough for guys to acclimate to the system. And I mean, Cam had, he didn't even have a full off season. Um, he, I don't know. I get flustered with Cam because he wasn't bad at times. I think everyone will kind of be like, Oh, he can't throw, which obviously that's, that's crazy important. But, you know, if you can make a strategic game, you got you probably have one of the best offensive lines, especially with the Trent Brown, um, the Trent Brown trade. So now you give Cam a good offensive line. 
you know, you got the cap to go get at minimum, you could go get the best tight end and the best wide receiver out in free agency who are both, you know, top tier guys, their positions. And you could legitimately be looking at a top 12 offense next year. Now it's big on cam, but for the value, uh, I don't think it's terrible. And Donnie, I know you have, I know we already talked about this, but your take, which we both agree. So let that. Ride. Yeah. So here's the thing. So it's, it's a one-year deal with a 6 million, 7 million, whatever the hell the, the base salary is. And then the incentives that make it look a little bit better than it actually is. And I would be a, way more upset if it was a, a, a multi-year deal, but again, it's only a one-year deal. So my thought process within this entire thing is it's not crazy to give a backup that type of money. And this is the highest draft pick that the Patriots have had in recent years. And it's for all intents and purposes, intents and purposes considered to be a pretty quarterback heavy draft in the first half of the draft. So here's the thought. I don't think that they're going to go get Mac Jones. I actually, I think they're going to do something incredibly not Patriots like, I think they're going to trade up and I don't know who their guy is. I think I'm sure that if somebody, I'm sure Trevor Lawrence is probably number one on that board, but obviously they're not going to get that. So if Zach Wilson's their guy and he slips, if Justin Fields is their guy and he slips, if Trey Lance is their guy and he slips, if Mac Jones is their guy and he falls to them, I think they're drafting a quarterback in the first round at this point. I don't think they would have re-signed Cam if – if, all right, so here, here's the thing. If they were intent on moving on and, you know – getting another quarterback off the market, a Jimmy G and Andy Dalton, uh, whoever comes to mind, they wouldn't have done this as fast as they did. They re-signed him before free agency even opened. Free agency doesn't open for another four days now. So I think they have a strategy here. They have to because they they kind of played their hand here incredibly early. And I don't think that Cam's probably the hottest commodity on the quarterback market. So they have to have something in mind here. As for him coming back in general, I'm not thrilled. I thought that there were better options. I thought there were sexier options. But I know in the back of my head and my heart of hearts that it was never not going to happen. I mean, them them jumping from one quarterback to the other and having two starters within two years is not – that was never going to be in, in the plans. But I think that – Jared Stidham might be approaching the end of the line here as a Patriot. Um, if he didn't start a game last year, especially when they were out of playoff contention with two games left in the season, I think that tells you all you need to know. Yeah. And I wouldn't be shocked if there's another quarterback being signed via free agency. I mean, I, I keep looking at AJ McCarron and I know that AJ McCarron's never been an NFL starter but I wouldn't be shocked if they signed him on like a one-year deal too. And like, just had him like be like, okay. And I don't think, I mean, Hoyer's Hoyer. He's literally like plain milk. Like that, that's the comparison. Like plain milk does its job, but it is not tasty. It does not do anything that it's, it, it will never overperform. It's just plain milk. All right. So Bob, I mean, for, with free agency being around the corner here, you know, what do you think, them locking cam up as fast as they've done does for their plans within free agency. I think it kind of shows that they're going to be willing to, I mean, spend all They're Obviously you're going to spend all your cap, but 
to kind of go after the bigger name guy. Um, I don't think they're afraid to, you know, spend the money. You have the money, you might as well spend it. I mean, I think as a Pats fan, you kind of looked at last season and we're like, we could have gone 10 and six and like a lot of our key get, I mean, we lost Tom Brady, obviously, but then even looking towards the defensive side of the ball, we basically got three top tier free agent signings back with Hightower, uh, Patrick Chung, and then, well, not too defensive, Marcus Cannon also on the offense, which I don't think he'll start. But, you know, you're getting guys back who have been in your system and who have been well-known Patriots for the last eight to ten years. Um, so I, I think you're in a spot where do you really think the Bills are, are that much better than you? I don't know. The Bills looked really good. Um, but that's not to say Josh Allen doesn't come out next year and suck. He has, he's had one good season. You could argue one and a half maybe. Um, but there are definitely options. I think we talked about it too. You got to go get weapons. The NFL is, the NFL has changed from ground and pound to kind of spread the ball out and your best, you have to have a stud at receiver. I mean, look at all the, all the successful teams recently. You think of Kansas city, obviously they have Patrick Mahomes, but they also have Travis Kelsey and Tyree kill who are two of, if not the two of the top five biggest mismatches in the NFL. <clears throat> and then you look like Tampa with Mike Evans, Chris Godwin. Um, and then in the past, George Kittle and out in San Fran. But you got to go get guys. There are guys you can go get, which is huge. Um, and then, you know, you can bring back some other pieces too, Kyle Van Noy, and kind of speed up your rebuild. Yeah, no, I think the whole weapons thing is is going to stick out huge here you know so there are there's a lot of of wide receiver free agents available this year and starting caliber free agents might i add and there's a lot of cap room that they have and i don't think that belichick can look at the season that they had with the receivers that they had and say we can run that back with the same personnel and be fine like to be completely honest with you yes they were where they finished eight and eight seven and nine seven and nine so they finished seven and nine and you could argue that they could have been 10 and six. They could have been nine and seven. You could also argue that they could have been six and 10, five and 11. Like that was a maybe the worst offense and maybe not, not the worst offense. That's a bottom five offense in the NFL. That was a really bad offense. Yeah. I mean, besides Damian Harris, besides Damian Harris. Yeah. So, I mean, you, you have, you have to go sign at least two receivers for me. You have to go get it a veteran tight end that you can use. I'm not saying you have to go spend the max on Johnny Smith or Hunter Henry, but maybe go give Kyle Rudolph one year, six mil or something like that. Like you need an established guy at that position. They had no production at the tight end position at all last year. It really showed, especially for an offensive system that has relied on a tight end for the majority of the last 15 years. So I think that's where, where we stand there. I think the next week and a half is going to be pretty telling of the direction that they think they're headed in. I was really hoping that maybe they would go do something weird or crazy, but you know, there's going to be some, some changes here between now and NFL draft day. So I guess we'll see. Can I throw out three hypotheticals? I know that's a lot, but yeah, go for it. First, we're going to have, I think after the signings and the trade, it's like $55 million in cap. I don't know how much John Smith's going to be, but like if he was four for 32 and then I don't know whether it's, I don't know if it's Kenny Galladay or it's, it's Juju, it's Corey Davis. One of those kind of top tier guys. 
they're also in probably that no they're a little bit more probably 12 to 15 yeah i was gonna say well juju's probably gonna say somewhere north of 15 yeah so what if you hypothetically got johnu and juju for a combined 25 25 in year one so you have 30 million dollars in cap then you kind of just fill your defensive line needs work but then you got a lot of Get three or four picks in that first like a hundred where you can you can get a really good kind of crop of guys and kind of build them. So that's my first hypothetical, which isn't. Do you want me to respond to it, or do you want to keep going? Uh you can respond to it if you. Yeah, right, I'll, I'll just be brief. Um, I think Juju would be a really good fit in the Pats because he is a guy who well, I mean, especially with Cam, catches a lot of balls in short yardage, medium, like seven six or six seven yard route kind of things. I don't know if he does enough for your offense to move the needle entirely. I think John M. Smith would be a good fit. Yep. Uh, go ahead. Hypothetical, hypothetical, hypothetical number two. Number two, do you think Dak Prescott was in the Patriots cards by any, any, any chance? No. Okay. I would say you think that that didn't push the needle to sign Cam? I don't think that Dak was ever leaving Dallas. I don't think Jerry, I think Jerry Jones was going to kill him before he allowed him to go play for another team. And then number three, have we seen the last of Stephon Gilmore in a Patriots uniform? 60% yes. I think there's a – I think it's, again, like you don't know the direction that they're headed in because you don't know if they – like there's a possibility that there's going to be a stud at corner that's available to them at 15. But at the same time, I think they're going to draft a quarterback. So, like, there's so many different directions that they could go in. And – I think Bill already knows what he's going to do, but he obviously he hasn't really given off any hints in, in which direction because Cam is the one signing that you could say doesn't give you any – like it doesn't give you any information on to whether – like what they're doing, I guess. If they went, if they went and signed Jameis or, you know, somebody else, you know what I mean, if they went and traded for somebody, like you could say they're, they still think they're in win now. Cam is like you don't – is he win now? I, I, don't, I don't know. Is, is he your start? At week one, is Cam Newton leading the Patriots offense out on the first drive of the season? Yes. Yes. Yeah, I think so. I think that I, I don't see a, a situation barring he gets injured that it's not him. Um, so we'll move into to college basketball here. Um, so we have almost, I would say, I think 75% of the automatic qualifying bill, bids are uh, punched. We have um, out of the major conferences, Texas won the Big 12 last night. Shout out the, the Horns. My guys at Georgia Tech won the ACC title. I've been talking about this for the last two months. It's time to put some respect on the Yellow Jackets name. Um, we got the Big Ten championship is today, Ohio State against Illinois. Um, Atlantic 10, because we're considering them a major co conference on this podcast. Shout out UMass. We have VCU against St. Bonaventure today. Bed league. Um, SEC, we have Alabama versus LSU today. And am I missing one? Oh, Pac-12 last night. Oregon State punching their ticket against Colorado. That's a big one. That's, that's stealing a bid. And then we'd be remorse if we did not mention the Big East. Georgetown, 12-12 and 12 coming into the tournament and going in and just wiping the, wiping the entire tournament clean. I mean, that, that wasn't – they went on a 46-8 to eight run against Creighton last night. Um, so, I guess we'll start with Dave. Out of those, you know, games that haven't been played or have been played or, or anything that's going on, like what, what caught your eye over the past couple of days? Uh, first off, I would like to say well done on Georgia Tech. Um, that, was, that was a great 
futures pick. And I want to uh, talk a little bit about the COVID problems because that has been a little bit of a pattern that may or may not have an effect on results. Um, Virginia and Duke both going out in the ACC. We didn't get to see what we thought Duke might be able to do, um, which was run the table and get that bid. But their season is now over. Virginia will be fine. Um, but they, they actually did say that if, if Duke were to get picked, they'll, they'll be allowed to play. So I'm not thinking, I don't think they will be selected. Oh, yeah. I, I don't think they will, but just, just a side note. Go ahead. And then, um, so Florida State had to play that semifinal game, whereas Georgia Tech did not. Maybe that extra rest day had to do something with that. And the same thing happened with Texas, who didn't have to play Kansas the day before. I don't know if it's the day before, but the yeah, semifinal. It was. It was? Yeah. yeah. So they didn't have to play. They got that extra day of rest, and they beat a very good Oklahoma State team in the final, which made an impressive run where they beat West Virginia and obviously Baylor in the semifinals. So we've been saying it all along, Oklahoma State's going to be a problem in this tournament. And, I mean, you got to consider Texas too because they just knocked them off. So, Yeah, no, I mean, me and Bob were talking about it last night. Jericho Sims on Texas. I've watched that team the entire season. I have that was the best game I've seen him play at all the entire season. He was an absolute like he's going to be an NBA guy, I think. Like he's got he's almost like the same player as Jackson Hayes was or was it Jackson Hayes, yeah, Jackson. Yeah. I mean, he's a, he's the same guy pretty much. So I mean, he'll he'll be a top 20 pick in the draft this year probably. Um that team still scares me with the shooting. Matt Coleman seems to be like their only shooter. Andrew Jones is not a consistent perimeter threat. I'm, I wouldn't say I'm super excited about their, their chances, but like, again, you don't know what happens in March. Some kid could find his three point stroke. You could find like the Georgia, Georgetown's the perfect example. 46 to eight run is crazy. The Texas X factor is Greg Brown. Yeah. He was a top, top eight freshman, I think. And I I don't even really think he's been playing great. Like I don't, he's not in the end of games, which, blows my mind but I think he's like a top 15 pick they project him to be so I think he played only like 15 minutes yesterday yeah which which is I just always find that weird like he's that talented just throw him out there let him let him run it's the same thing it's like that Kentucky kid that's announced that he was uh, transferring yesterday he's the number one the number 61 recruit in the entire country last year and he averaged like five minutes a game and 1.9 points per game like I I, I just don't get it uh, Bob what about you um, yeah, I think a team kind of we touch upon who I I thought was going to beat your Longhorns yesterday was Oklahoma State. I took them. Um, man, Kid Cunningham is fucking good, uh, and that's that's a problem when your when your best player's hot come March. That like I just think they're they're a team that they're tough because they hit shots. They're big enough. Like he's like six eight as a point guard, which is crazy. Um, Georgia Tech was good. Florida State scares me. I like Florida State, but I feel like they're kind of a team who they never blow you out. Um, they kind of keep you in the game. Like, they keep you around, which that's an upset – or that's a recipe for disaster in March, keeping, you know, a 13 or 14 seed around late. Uh, so, those, that was two things I definitely noticed, like, because I was watching both of those games. Um Georgetown was crazy. I know I called you right away, Donnie, when I was like, holy shit, what's going on here? And then 
What was the last team I wanted to touch upon? Oh, Alabama. Uh, that Tennessee-Alabama game was a really good game. Alabama looks really good. Don't be surprised if Tennessee is one of those six or seven seeds who they get a favorable two or three and, you know, they're in the Sweet 16. But, yeah, there's, we could talk about it for an hour. Also, watch out for Ohio. I like Ohio. I think so that that Alabama game, I I think it was impossible for them to play worse than they did in that first half. They couldn't finish anywhere near the hoop. The three point shooting that they're pretty much known for was not there. Um, thank God that they pulled it together. I had I had a minus two and a half yesterday, or minus three and a half, I should say. So that I thought I was looking at a loser there. Um, one that I kind of want to talk about is Iowa's inability to beat good teams. They are now a combined, I believe it's 0-5 against Illinois and Michigan. I think they only have one win against a top 15 team this season, and it was against Ohio State in the midst of their losing streak. I am not convinced that this team – like, it's tough to look at them and be like – like, they should be so good. They have a lot of good shooters. Luca Garza is the best player in the country. They struggle defensively against good bigs. If they don't have the right – if they get if they get a tough matchup, they could be gone by the by the end of the first weekend. To be honest with you, I don't think they will be, but it's it's concerning considering they're such highly regarded as a team. I just said I was talking about Texas earlier. I don't think they'll be. I mean, if we're being completely honest with you, they are blessed that Kansas got. I mean, yeah. like Kansas would is not a good matchup for them. No. Um, so I mean, I don't think they get there if if Kansas doesn't have COVID. Um, and then the last one that I wanted to touch on is, is Georgia Tech. And I think Georgia Tech, like, here's the thing. Alvarado is like an X-factor type player. Like, he had 13 points yesterday, but he played every single minute and he had five steals. He's what you call a dog. Yeah, he really is. Moses Wright is a monster down low. That kid Usher and Defoe are both really just they're, they They have impressed me. I watched that team the, the entire season pretty much. And I didn't think much of them until this tournament. They're slashers. They can shoot well. And Usher is explosive around the rim. Like, he can finish. So, I think, like, I'd be remorse to say I don't think – I think they can go to the Sweet 16 at the least. Uh, Pastor's Pastor's a great coach. Yeah, he's a great coach. Like, you see what he's done now. So, I mean, I think that they can make noise. I think they might be – I mean, honestly, I think they are the best team in the ACC. I know that's kind of a hot take. And I know UVA didn't get – they didn't get a chance to play UVA. I think they're the best team in the ACC. Their one problem is they got no depth. Yeah. Which yeah. Shows. They remind me I'm, – it's going to sound a little cringy because, you know, they won the whole tournament. But they remind me of the Shabazz UConn team. That team had no depth. No depth, but just one stud. Yeah. And that – and then, like, the, the starting five was just solid all around. Like, a young coach, probably going to be like a – they'll probably come out of here as probably like a – Seven seed, probably. I, think so. I mean, what? I mean, Lenardi had them as, as their last four in before they won the ACC tournament yesterday, which is crazy. I, mean, I think that's crazy. Yeah, they've been. I mean, they've been the last four in the last like week and a half. Yeah. Um, so I mean, that's that. Anything else you guys want to mention before we move on? Well, a ten, a ten portion of the show. Um, yeah, I, I guess I was wrong about UMass. I, I mean. They're they're a good team. They've got Trey Mitchell first team. I just think they underperformed and they didn't. They're a very frustrating team to watch because they will 
they will get right back into the game. They'll they'll dig themselves a hole early, then they'll get back into it. Then they'll have three or four opportunities where they can get themselves like tied or within three or four, and then they just go on an o o to five o to six run, and they're just out of it. Um, I was very um, frustrated. Can I, can I just interrupt real quick? Go ahead. We have breaking news. Um, the New England Patriots have just traded Marcus Cannon to the Texans, and the clubs are swapping picks in the fourth, fifth, and sixth rounds. So, uh, Bob, like you just said, you didn't think that he was going to start. Well, he may start, and it just won't be for the Patriots. Does that mean we're getting, we're getting better picks? Yeah, we get better fourth, fifth, and sixth round picks, and we Wait. should Cannon's salary. All right, go ahead, Dave. Sorry. Um, yeah, I was frustrated until – St. Louis got blown out by St. Bonaventure, who is a very good team. They could also make a run. Even though they haven't really played anyone good this year, they are a very solid team. And it was really cool to see, like, that community, the St. Bonaventure community, like, they had, like, a full-ass parade for them, like, leaving. Did you see that? No, no I didn't. Buddy, our, one of my buddies that has came up here before, he goes to St. Bonaventure. He's from New York. They drove, like, a hundred of them drove out to Dayton today and are at the game. Wow. Are they letting fans in? Yeah, they're there. Oh, wow. They're like he's like a diehard Saint. Like I've never seen like diehard Saint Bonaventure fans. They're like there's never like diehard mid major fans. They are diehards. So shout out Vinny. Um, yeah, I mean Saint Bonnie's is like a. They're a very controlled team. They're not very sexy to watch. Like they'll they'll beat you putting up sixty points, uh, and then just play good defense. And, you know, I mean, so the next one I think we kind of have to talk about is, is Michigan. And I, I think they're fine. But I know you, you don't think at likewise, Bob. No. Uh, I'm, I, I know it's, like, hard to be tough on a one seed. Their best offense is thrown into their big guy, which if they play a team that's got a good big, that could be, you know, that could cause some – a tough matchup and with Isaiah livers out, they said he was in a walking boot, which I don't like if you're in a walking boot on, on Saturday, what does that mean next? Like you just automatically heal from a walking boot in like a week and you're good. I thought I saw that he was out for the season. I saw it indefinitely. Yeah. Well, I mean, he's got, they said he's, he's I think he's got a stress fracture in his foot. So, I mean, he, he's probably out the first weekend of the tournament at the minimum. Yeah. I don't, don't be shocked if they get, you know, a tough draw as an eight or nine. If they're a, if they're a team who goes home early that you're surprised about. Maybe a potential Loyola-Chicago rematch in the second round. Because I think Loyola-Chicago is probably going to come in maybe as an eight seed. It's possible. I mean, I think the, the four are pretty locked in at this point. You would say, yeah. Yeah. I, I was thinking about it in – I don't think Alabama has a good enough resume, but I think they're going to be the they're going to be the five. So they're obviously not a one, but they could push to, you know, if Illinois probably is locked into a one. But if Illinois lost today, and like, the, I don't think I think that I think that the Big Ten's reputation is they're too yeah good. yeah I think like them being labeled as far and away as the best conference in basketball helps them out big time. I, I think the final seed line probably goes Gonzaga's the overall number one. Illinois, if they win, is probably the two. 
I don't know. They got a lot of good wins. Baylor the three, Maybe. Michigan the four, Bama the five. Um, and then just one last thing I'm, I'm just going to like touch on before we, we move on. Um, we better hope that we don't see any COVID tests pop up over the next week. I'm, I'm scared shitless that, that we'll get one like the, the Thursday before those Friday games, put those teams, put those teams in a closet, put them, put them in, in storage units. Don't let them leave. Don't let them like shuttle them to a basketball court in hamster balls for all I care. Like, they should not be touching. They should not be seeing anyone. We need this. We deserve this. I had the one year like scaries of when COVID started and the tournament was canceled. And I never want to experience that pain ever again. I'm pretty sure there are a few reserve teams just in case if something pops up like the day or day or two before. But yeah. I think I saw Rothstein said that 11 of the teams are already there in Indianapolis. So who knows? Um, all right. So that, that was the, the college basketball portion of the show. Um, we're going to move into the interview, staying on the, on the topic of college basketball. Dunk City was probably the, the most fun Cinderella story to watch out of the last 10 years of March Madness. You could say in sports in general, to be completely honest with you. They're, they, I mean, if, you don't, if, you, if you've never seen it, I really recommend that you go watch the highlights. If you haven't seen them, I don't know why you haven't seen them. Um, I had the chance to sit down with Sherwood Brown. He was their leading scorer of the team. He was the A-Sun player of the year that season. And he was their leading scorer, like I said, on uh, during that run, though, as well. Um, so I got to sit down with Sherwood, talk about what he's doing now, playing professionally in Romania, and talking about what that run was like. And even, you know, we chopped it up about some things like, is Carmelo Anthony overrated? We talked about things like, uh, his thoughts on, you know, how much of a disadvantage having no crowd is going to be for, or having less of a crowd is going to be for these low seated teams. Um, so here is the interview with Sherwood Brown and we'll see you on the other side. All right. We now welcome on Sherwood Brown onto the easier said than done podcast. You might remember Sherwood for his role during the Cinderella run of the 2013 NCAA tournament with the Florida Gulf coast Eagles, otherwise known as dunk city. That year, Sherwood would win both a Sun Player of the Year and become the first player in program history to score both 1,000 points and record 500 rebounds. He would also average 18.6 points per game and 7.6 rebounds per game during their NCAA run, where they would beat number two-ranked Georgetown and number seven-ranked San Diego State to become the first 15 seed ever to make the Sweet 16. Since then, he's been playing professionally in the G League and then ab abroad in L Lebanon, Qatar, and now Romania. Sherwood, thanks for joining, man. Hey, man, I appreciate it. Thanks for the introduction, too, by the way. Yeah, hey, no, no, no problem at all. Um, so we'll kind of start towards the beginning of your kind of your career and then kind of work forward. So if I if I read correctly, you walked on to Florida Gulf Coast and you weren't very heavily recruited at all. And by the end of your freshman year, you were starting. So what was that kind of like that first season like for you? And what did you personally think led to that transition from walk on to even starting a couple games towards the end? Um, honestly, you know, I was just happy to be a, you know, division one basketball player. And, you know, um, it was understood that if I played well enough in my first year, my, uh, for, I wanted to say rookie, but in my freshman year, um, you know, the coach would reward me with a scholarship the following year. So, you know, I just went in there with an open mind and just really determined to earn that scholarship. Yeah, no, definitely. I mean, 
you see a lot of it. A lot of the times now, I think some of that, those best videos on YouTube and stuff is, uh, you know, when they're all during a team meeting or whether it's after a practice and the coach, you know, is surprising the guys on scholarship. So especially, you know, a school that's newer to the division one school, uh, you know, division one uh, landscape, definitely something that's, that probably was brand new for you too. Yeah, um, very much, man. Very much. Yeah. So if you look at your freshman year, that first game, maybe first or second game you guys played was against number two, Michigan state and Draymond greens on that team. So what's the, what's the lump, the jump in level of competition from going from high school ball to playing the number two team in college? Honestly, um, you know, I had, you know, the year before I watched these guys play cause they pretty much brought back the same team that they had the year before. Um, and then when we were, when we went to the gym, I mean, you know, we played them at Michigan State and I just looked at their arena and I was like so overwhelmed by how big their arena was. You know, they're coming off a good run the year before and, um, you know, they just had a packed out stadium. Um, I was actually so into that before even getting to the game and then I got to the game then I just uh, quickly recognized the difference between high school basketball and collegiate basketball. Because these guys, you know, were well, well, uh, well in physical shape. And, you know, they have a good program. So I'm sure that, like their weightlifting coach is very good also because they were very strong, very big guys. Yeah, I mean, Draymond Green is not, not a small guy at all. And yeah. actually, Michigan State just lost today in the uh, first round of the uh, Big Ten tournament. So a little oh, bit of a change yeah. for them. Yeah, they just lost to Maryland. Um, so we'll kind of jump to your senior season, which is the big one. Uh, so you guys won, you won the, uh, Atlantic sun and you get the tournament bid and then that selection Sunday comes and you guys are paired with Georgetown as a 15 seed. How fast is that turnaround from, damn, we just won the tournament. We're going to the big dance to getting paired with Georgetown and oh shit, this is real now. Yeah. I mean, we were, we were very excited after winning the ASUN tournament because, you know, the year before we made it to the finals of the ASUN tournament. And then we were like, yo, we, we got it to the finals this year, which was unexpected. And then so we, was, we said to ourselves that we're going to, you know, give it all we got next year and make sure that we make it to the tournament. And then, you know, it was a short-lived moment of celebration because, you know, we knew we had another challenge ahead of us. And then we, uh, we drew Georgetown on the selection Sunday. And we were so excited about that because we knew that our style of play was kind of was really good against a team like that because they played more of a slow paced game while our our style was more run and gun type. Yeah. And, you know, you kind of just touched on it. And I know that typical answer is, you know, you guys think you can beat anything. But, you know, it really seemed like you guys were bought in from like tip off that you guys could not only run with these guys, but you could beat them. It was that kind of the sense that was going on in the locker room. Well, yeah, we knew that if, if we had it managed to, to chance to get out ahead by, you know, a, a decent amount that it would be very difficult for them to, you know, catch up to us because, you know, they will have to step out of their, their usual game playing style, which was a slow paced game. They want to limit possessions, which was our style. We wanted to get as many possessions as possible. We would even sometimes practice, you know, back then um, college had 30 second shot clock. I'm not sure how it is now, but we had 30 second shot clock. We would even practice, you know, shooting the ball, getting the, the, the uh, getting a good shot in the first 14 seconds of the shot clock. So we really wanted to speed the game up. Yeah, I mean, obviously it worked. 
And, you know, you guys not only beat Georgetown, but you pretty comfortably handled them. And, you know, people watch that and you go, you know, they fell in love with the style of play, you know, running up and down the court, you know, jamming dunks. Uh, did you guys have a feeling that you were a little bit like kind of a well-kept secret and, you know, being kind of from a mid-major conference? And did you think that, you know, people were going to respond the way that they did? I mean, people, you, you guys might've been the most popular team in college basketball or even sports for like a week. Yeah. Um, actually, yeah, we thought that we were slept on because, you know, we, we played this style of play the whole season. We, we played against some really good uh, teams that year. Um, VCU, we played against University of Miami. We actually beat University of Miami that year. And after that, they went on to, you know, become number one in the nation. They beat, uh, you know, and they're playing the ACC, which is a very strong conference. So we, because of that win, we had a lot of confidence going into the uh, NCAA tournament. Yeah, I mean, and then, so then you win in the round of 32 over San Diego State. And I think a lot of people before that game, we're in the thought process of like, you know, maybe lightning won't strike twice, but then it does. And it's kind of, you guys are playing the same style, the same emphatic style. You know, what was that next week? Like where you, you finished that second game and now you have an entire week to think of what's ahead. Oh man, that, that week was actually, you know, it was just so surreal. Um, it was just a lot of things going on for all of us on the team. Uh, something that, you know, a lot of us had not really experienced before. It was a lot of fun, but it also it was very exhausting too. Um, having, you know, a lot of fans coming up to us, you know, at all different times of the day. We would try to go to class and we have, would have to get police escorts to class because people are coming up to us and asking for this, pictures, asking for these autographs. And it was just nonstop for that whole week. Yeah, I mean, I can, I can only imagine. And um, that, I mean, that leads right into it. You know, even when the entire tournament was over. Um, you know, when you get back to campus, I mean, you guys must've been celebrities, like local heroes almost. Yeah. Um, so I remember- uh, um, we was getting to the Oh, go ahead. No, please. I remember when we came back from Philadelphia and we were in the, our, local hair, our local airport, um, we had basically like standing ovation. Everyone was waiting for us. Um, you know, people in the airport clapping for us and, you know, just basically cheering us on. It just felt, it was a really good feeling. Damn, that, that's awesome. Uh, and, you know, before we move on from, you know, those college days. So, you know, the nickname Dunk City really wasn't an exaggeration. And, you know, you guys, you know, were running down the floor. You were, you had alley-oops, putbacks, the whole bit. You know, if that's how games were like, how crazy were those practices? Oh man, that's uh, yeah. Our practices was definitely the same type. Um, I would say even our best dunks and best alley hoops were even you know they were done in practice. Um, the one that you know Brett Comer threw the chase was you know obviously a really good one too. But I would say they even had better connections in practice than that. Yeah, I mean, and then so you have there's this one iconic picture of you of after after I think you're beating Georgetown you standing in front of the fans with like your arms widespread. Oh, yeah. I mean, that's, that's gotta be like your screensaver for life. That's gotta be hung up somewhere for sure. Right. Well, sure, man. I got that one. Um, my parents actually, they have that. My dad, he has it in his uh, man cave in the, in the house. He has a big, a big uh, frame around it and everything. Just that photo right there. 
Yeah, that's got that's that's one you take with you forever. So I actually wanted to get your your perspective on something. So um, March Madness is coming up, obviously, and with COVID forcing crowds to be at such low capacity, they're only going to allow about 20, 20 to 25% uh, fans and friends and family obviously get first, um, first dibs, but how big of a disadvantage or an advantage for you, do you think it is for these lower seated mid-major teams like Florida Gulf coast was to not have the crowd behind them, backing them in the midst of these games? Um, You saying, I, I really feel like it's a disadvantage because you know, everyone, roots for the underdog besides the the fans of the team who is uh you know is the favorite because uh, I, rem- I seem to remember when we were playing um against Georgetown and uh I think there there was I forget who was playing before us but there was a game before us and then you know they still had the fans from that from that game before and and then we had fans from our from our game and it's just like the whole stadium was behind us they seen us winning the whole stadium just got jumped on the bandwagon and just started cheering us on. So for us, it was a huge advantage. And I feel like for the underdogs, you know, to not have so much fans in attendance, it's a, it's a huge disadvantage. Yeah, no, I, I completely agree. And, you know, if you play devil's advocate, you could say like, Oh, maybe, you know, it's a little bit less intimidating if you're playing, you know, uh, Gonzaga or something in the games in Washington or something like that. But at the same point, you got all these fans traveling from all over the place. So, you know, it, it could go either way, but I think definitely it is a disadvantage because, you know, everybody wants to see the underdog win, especially in, in March. Mm-hmm. Um, so yeah, exactly. let's get, to, Oh yeah. I'm sorry. I'm sorry, man. I'm cutting you off. No, no, no. You're good. I, I think I'm cutting you off. So don't worry about it. But yeah, I feel like, you know, everyone loves the, uh, that Cinderella story, man. That's just what March Madness is all about. Yeah. I mean, so do you have like, you know, you must have like a personal affinity for all of these, these lower seeds, like the Loyola Chicago was going to the final four a couple of years ago. Like you got to love seeing that. Yeah, man. Every time I see it, you know, it just takes me back to, you know, when we were doing it too. Yeah. I mean, I feel like it goes without saying, but it, you know, it's, it's why March is the best and it's, it's the most fun to watch every single year. Yep, exactly. You know, it's just, it's just one game. So, you know, you, you come out, you play good, play hard for one game. And then you move on to the next one. Any anyone can win in one game. When it's if it's like a, a playoff series, usually the the uh, the favorite wins. But if it's just one game, you know anyone can take it. Absolutely. Um. So let's get to your professional career a little bit abroad and here. Um. So you're currently in um, Romania. You were playing previously in Lebanon and Qatar, right? And you spent a little time in China, if I'm not wrong. Yep. Um, so, you know, how do you see, you know, basketball culture evolving in all these other uh, countries? You know, obviously basketball here is one of the most popular sports, maybe behind football, depending on who you ask. For you personally, you know, do you see the popularity of the game evolving? Uh, yeah, I do, actually. Um, I feel like, you know, around the world if you if you go globally i feel like basketball is the number two sport in the world behind soccer but um you know definitely it's growing and and in china basketball is so so well loved and so you know respected i love the i love the you know the fans in china they're so into the game it's like nothing i've ever seen before um you know here in romania 
soccer is number one. And then I think handball is number two, but then basketball is uh, the number three sport here. But yeah, I, I mean, you know, basketball from each country that I've been, it's, it's, it's a little bit different. You know, the game is still for the most part the same, but different, different cultures, you know, they, they play the game a little bit differently. Like here, it's more of a team oriented game. Like in Europe, it's more team oriented. In China, um, it's more so, you know, you have like two all-stars and they pretty much take all the shots, score all the points. And I will say it's pretty much the same in Middle East. Maybe you have three, three players on each team who, who do all the work. But, you know, wherever you're going to go, uh, people are going to love basketball. So that's what I love about it. Yeah. No, I mean, especially when you think of, like, you know, some of those European countries, you know, you think obviously like soccer dominates, but you, you see the widespread popularity of basketball, especially over probably the last 20 or so years. And I think you, you can accredit guys like Kobe, guys like LeBron, um, you know, about that. You know, they're just polarizing figures worldwide. So here's my question for you. Are you MJ or are you Jordan? Who's the goat? Um, you, you said MJ or Jordan. Oh, so, MJ or LeBron. My bad, my bad. Oh, okay, okay. Um, man, that's a good question, man. It's a tough one. Um, you know, I was so young when I was seeing Michael Jordan play. So I, I don't really – I got to go Jordan. I love LeBron, what he's done for the game. And, you know, when it comes to, you know, being a basketball player and even being more than a basketball player and, you know, about, you know, everything, you know, the society, you know, his input on the culture, everything, I, I have to go LeBron. But if we're just talking only basketball, I'm going to go with MJ. I like that. And, you know, so you were talking about, you know, you were kind of young to see Jordan in his prime. But, you know, you are kind of like a combo guard, but you can shoot, but, you know, you put up a lot of rebounds, like we said, in college. Who is one guy, at, you know, growing up, who did you model your game after? Um, honestly, uh, when I was coming up, my favorite player was uh, Kobe Bryant because, you know, I, I had a good chance. To, I had a great chance of watching him, and I grew up watching him. But, but um, a player who I kind of like to try to model my game after was more so like Carmelo Anthony. Yeah, I, I mean, really liked how he like played bully ball. Yeah, me, me and my buddies here. So I I'm on, on the record saying that I, I've always thought that he's a little bit overrated, but not in the sense that he's not, you know, one of the, the greatest scorers to ever play. But I just never thought that he was ever, ever in like the, the LeBron, Wade, Kobe, Dirk, you know, you know what I mean? Right? Yeah, I, I agree, man. I do agree. I, I don't know. I feel like he just doesn't put in the time as much as you know LeBron Kobe and D-Wade like they really they really put in a lot of time to elevate their game I think that Carmelo was you know he was good and like well he was great he was great and um you know he was just so great that maybe he felt like he didn't need to get any better yeah and I think right now I mean we're, we're getting into a little bit of the, the intricacies of today's game but um you know I think ever since he kind of came back after he, was go he got traded like three times and was a free agent for like a year and then came back and he's starting to have like a, a really good couple of years with the trailblazers. I almost feel like he's more likable. Yeah. You know, for a while there, you know, there was, there was a lot of jokes going around that, um, you know, about the me coming off the bench thing. I'm sure you, you heard about that, but, uh, 
Uh, you know, I think it's because he has accepted his role now on this team. And since he's done that, you know, everyone has started to, you know, like him a little bit more. Yeah, no, I, I agree with that. And, you know, I'll, I'll, one more question for you and then I'll, I'll let you go. Um, I don't know, you know, how close you can follow the NBA from, you know, where you are in Romania. I don't know how, how many games you get to see. Is there a team right now that you like to win at all? Do you like, you know, the Lakers and LeBron to repeat or, you know, maybe the Nets now that they just got Blake Griffin? Um, I'm going to say I, I like the uh, – and Kobe retired from the Lakers. You know, rest in peace, Kobe. But, you know, he uh, retired a Laker. And so by default, I'm always going to be a Laker fan. I love it. I love it. Well, Sherwood, man, I really appreciate you making some time for us. Um, you know, I bet you you got a you got a busy schedule going on, especially with you know the season going and COVID kind of interrupting everything. And you know, it's got to be a crazy time over there. So I appreciate you putting some time to the side and uh, chatting with me. Man, I really appreciate you having me, man. It was great. It was great. Yeah, no problem at all. All right, yeah, and thanks to Sherwood again for doing that interview with us. Um, you know. I actually wasn't even expecting to be able to pull this off, but we did. And I'm, I'm really grateful for the opportunity for it. So thanks again to Sherwood for doing that for us. Really an interesting interview, really fun interview. And uh, we, we have a couple up our sleeve. We won't have one next week, I don't think. Um, but on the week afterwards, I think we may. So we'll keep you posted on that. All right. So because there's no gambling this week, uh, we're just going to talk a little bit of soccer. And then we're going to, Dave's going to just give us something to ponder and then we'll get out of here. So I mean, honestly, it was kind of a boring week in Champions League with the exception of the Porto-Juventus game. Game went into extra time with a free kick winner. Uh, would mean that Juventus would have to score two more goals. They came back and scored literally 30 seconds after that goal was scored by Porto. Uh, but again, Juventus goes down, Barcelona goes down, which means we're going to have no Leo Messi and no Ronaldo in the Champions League quarterfinals for the first time since 2004. Uh, Dave, you surprised that Juventus didn't go through? A little bit, yeah. I, I thought they were going to pull through at home. Porto got two goals on the road, which was pretty surprising, especially with that red card. I mean, they're playing down a man, and they somehow pulled it off. This was a wild game. Um, Chiesa kind of put the team on his back, scoring two goals. And, I mean, to Remy, that red card was absolutely ridiculous. Second yellow for kicking the ball away, and you're putting your team at such a disadvantage. But somehow they were able to do that on that low-driven free kick. I feel like Chesney could have done better with that one, but he'll be disappointed. Um, and I don't, I don't know if you saw that the reports out of Italy, they're saying that um... – they want to rebuild the core of Juventus around McKenney, Delict, Chiesa, and Chesney, which I don't understand. Chesney has not impressed me even a little bit. No, I, I really don't think. I think he's pretty overrated. But a lot of people are saying that Ronaldo might be out the door, whether that be to Major League Soccer or if he still wants to test the waters in Europe. Um. I wouldn't hear a potential surprised. reunion with Real Madrid. Yeah, that's possible. I mean, yeah, he could definitely still play if, at the highest level. Imagine if they got Ronaldo and Mbappe on the same team. Yeah, well, that would be I ridiculous. Mean, they would score I'd rather have Holland. Fact, I, I would too. 
Speaking of Holland, another two goals. He scored four out of the five for uh, Dortmund in this le- in these two legs. I think you could argue that like he's starting to nip at at Lewandowski's heels. Like I think Lewandowski is still number one for striker in the world, but I think Holland's like getting more and more and more into the conversation. It might be a little too early. He is still really young. I know, but that production is unreal, man. If he keeps it up for another year or two, one hundred percent, just like the way Mbappe did. Yeah, I mean, time, I think. so if, if we run through this week's uh, results, so like I said, we had Porto beating Juventus to go through. We had Liverpool cruising again over Leipzig. They'll advance. Um, kind of thought Leipzig was going to put up a little bit more of a fight than that, if I'm going to be completely honest with you. I kind of thought that they might throw in a stinker and like, or not throw in a stinker, but like kind of give them a tougher time than they did. Um the other game on Tuesday that went along with Juventus and Porto, like we said, Dortmund um, advances over Sevilla. They'll move on to the quarterfinals. And finally, like I said, PSG over Barcelona. Barcelona hit the post twice, I think. Navas saved a messy peak. So there were chances there for, for Barcelona to get back into it, but just got unlucky. Um, looking ahead this week, we have Man City against Gladbach. They, uh, Man City is up 2-0. Real Madrid against Atalanta. Real Madrid is up 1-0. Bayern against Lazio. Bayern is up 4-1. And Chelsea versus Atletico. Chelsea is up 1-0. Out of those four, any that kind of catch your eye? Uh, yeah, well, the City City and Bayern ties are both pretty much over, I'd say. Um, Madrid and Atalanta is going to be a really good game. Like I said before, Atalanta scores a lot of goals, and Real Madrid is Real Madrid. They're always going to be exciting to watch. There might be good value in that in that over, considering that it was only one nothing in the first game. The line might lower a little bit. Yeah, I agree. I agree. And uh, they had the red card, so I mean, Atalanta was sitting in pretty deep, playing really defensively. I was shocked. Um, well, I can't say I was shocked about it not going zero zero. They were Real Madrid was piling on the pressure at the end. That's why they scored, but. And then the other tie is uh, Chelsea Atletico going back to London. <clears throat> Excuse me. Um, Atletico, I think, will be disappointed to not even get a goal at home. Uh, we'll see because they're going to need to score some goals and they'll be away goals. So it's definitely possible that they can move through. We want to talk just a little bit about Pulisic. Sure. So he started yesterday, first start in, I think, three weeks. Um, but they, they t- spoke about, you know, Tuchel said he, he's not 100% sure that he's p- it's possible that he leaves. He's been linked to Manchester United. He's been linked to Bayern. He's been linked to a couple other teams. I don't think I, we should be concerned about him, but this last two months of the season is going to be pretty interesting to see, you know, how he battles back. He said he's not going to make a big deal out of it, you know, for the end of this year, but I, I think he'll be fine. What do you think? Yeah, he'll be fine. But if he's if by the end of the season he's still not getting meaningful minutes. At the well, same time, he really hasn't produced in those minutes either. I guess so. I but like the teams the teams that he's rumored to be going to are like not like they could be better than Chelsea, to be honest. So like what's the yeah. difference? I mean, with Col- if Coleman leaves Bayern, I think Bayern makes so much sense. I mean, yeah, him at Bayern would be electric. It would be awesome. If he plays. It would be awesome. 
Uh, anything else in soccer that you want to talk this week? Um, big game, Napoli, uh, Milan. If, not, if Napoli doesn't win, their season's over. A while. Did they advance in Europa? No, they lost to friggin' Granada. Correct, correct, not, correct. Not, not a good season for the boys. Papachiro is not happy. Poor, poor Papachiro. Uh, you got anything for us to ponder and then we'll get out of here? I hope I haven't mentioned this, but because I think about it all the time. And how can you just FaceTime or call someone across the world and instantly talk to them or see their face? It's unbelievable. Same, being, thing, same thing with cable. Who knows? What ca- like how do you how does that work? Or be in New Hampshire and zoom some dude in Amherst. Yeah, exactly. Or Romania. Like, or Romania. Or Romania is right. All right, that sixth episode of the Easier Said Than Done podcast. Uh, we will see you next week for the college basketball exclusive interview. Bob, Dave, we'll talk soon. Later, fellas. Adios. Peace.